Welcome to Dungeon Talk. Higher level learning for your tabletop game. Now, because you botched when you rolled for initiative, here's Evan and Michael! Hey, what's up? This is Evan. And Michael. And Nico. And Rob. And James. And this is Dungeon Talk episode 20! Alright, but first we actually want to introduce the new voice that you just heard, James. Oh, it's, uh, I'm James. It's good to be here. Uh, started, uh, my first role-playing game, if you even want to call it that, was HeroQuest. Oh, back when that came out. There. <laughs> <laughs> back when that came out. Um, and, uh, you know, the structure of it, very similar to D&D. So, it was a quick step. Um, been doing it ever since, along with other systems. Play a lot of Savage Worlds. Most of, most of what I play now, though, is Wednesday nights at Encounters. I run the Encounters uh, series. If you're not familiar with it, it's basically D&D demoing. Um, uh, if, you, if you show up, you get a free D20. Sweet. And That's reason enough. Yeah, we'll be there. It, it is reason enough. It's a, it's a special D20. It has little symbols on it and everything. Um, now, with, with the Encounters, it was 4th edition for a while. Now it's converting. It, you can do either one, though, what, right? Yeah, what it is uh, now is the book that they send you is in 4th edition. But you can go online and get conversion notes for that book, for that adventure, uh, to run it in next. So it can run either way. Okay, and who so, decides that? You or the people that show up um, and play? We take a poll during uh, week zero, which will be this week. Um, but for the most part, the last two seasons of it, uh, everybody wants to play next. Uh, Makes they, sense. They like it. They It's new. Right. You can get a lot more done in the two, three hours that we sure. have to play. So. Okay, well, because one of the things that we try to do with our podcast is aim for people who are either really new to the game or thinking about getting in the game. So would you say Encounters is a great step for people to get involved? I would say Encounters is perfect for people who are getting involved. Last season, we had six people who had never played before, and they jumped right in and got right into it, and how big are the they're game? coming back Wednesday. How big are the games? Um, how many people are playing at the same time? We try to keep it to five and then a DM, five players and a DM at, per table. Right. Now, um, <laughs> I think in this version, because I did some research after you talked about it, it you're going to start at fourth level. And the elder ones, did you start at lower levels, or is it different every time? Uh, it, it's different every time. Um, two seasons ago, we started at first level. Last season, we started at fourth level, which is where the season before that had ended. So okay. people were able to keep their characters. And, and that's kind of what I was kind of wondering: is it did it actually go together? Um, was there any sort of continuity between the? No, no plot wise, no. But. We we kind of fudged it. Yeah, yeah, bring your character, whatever. Okay. <laughs> All right. It makes sense if you're attached to your character. If yeah. You can keep playing him, that's cool. Were, these, were the yeah. new um, players playing D&D Next? Is that what you were doing with them? Yes. Did you get good feedback from them about just starting, never playing before, and starting with D&D Next? Yeah, they, um, it, it's really easy to pick up on because it's so simplified from 4th. Uh, I mean, I love 4th. I play 4th every other week. Um, but especially for a new player, there's a lot of number crunching. There's a lot of, and even in three, five and in any other edition, it's, oh, I have to put points in these skills and point for a new player to be able to come in and either just pick up a pregen and say, okay, I have a plus four to attack and a, and this is my AC and that's all I need to know. 
or you can make a character in 20 minutes and say, I have this background that gives me these skills. I have this, you know, right. this is my class. This is what I can do. I'm good to go. Do you have any veterans that are that aren't liking it or are opposed to um, it? So far, everyone has liked it. Yeah. Even even the uh, the old school. I think everybody at this table and everybody in your game really likes it, except we just have one that Jared. is really 3.5. Oh, he loves like, 3.5. He loves 3.5, and, and there's just something about it to him that he – in his mind, it's much easier to build any kind of character that he wants. Yeah. There's and so many source was, books. Was 3.5 right. his first yes. role-playing game? Yes. That's why people tend to fall in love with the first game they play or the first role-playing experience they have. Now, the question I want to ask you is, do you guys use, um, is it like uh, theater of the mind when you guys are role-playing, or do you have figures? And oh, no, we, we, yeah, we have minis and, and gridded maps. Um, we're... Since there are no tactical rules for next, we're kind of sort of using fourth ed tactics that, you know, five feet equals one square. Right. Um, right. And they move for, around, for but visual, then... For visual yeah. stuff, right? So to be able to see how the map looks like. Exactly. And where to move. Okay. Excellent. Anything else about uh, next or encounter you um, want to talk just, about? Just, uh, you know, if anybody wants to come down to the store, uh, it's Sci-Fi City and Northgate Mall. Come down Wednesday nights around... 6 six thirty, and we'll find you a seat awesome and then there are pretty much all game stores or most of them run it as well yeah mo- most game stores run it, the encounters because if you um, want to fly to cincinnati from denver right yeah or no, don't, you're at. don't fly here <laughs> don't fly here from denver just ask for james it's find james. find your local store we'll put a link to travel <laughs> <laughs> awesome well james i appreciate you coming uh sharing your insight with us and i uh, hope you enjoy your experience today right. and i guess we're gonna go ahead and move in we're going to kind of combine those because um, you have some familiarity with Savage World. So let's actually reverse that and talk about that first, and that will lead us into the deadline. Do you topic. want to talk about wrapping up our Savage Worlds game first? Yeah. Okay. So you can probably, if you listen, well, actually, we're, I don't know if we're going to post those games or not, but if you listen to them, I'm sure we did things wrong. Uh, but we talked about it a couple times before. We want to try things a little bit differently. We wanted to change up from D&D because we've played only that for a while. So we tried Deadlands. I had played the old version of Deadlands in college, the D20 version, I guess, and I really liked it, but I only got to play a couple times, so that was my first thought when we said, let's do something different. Uh, so I picked up the Savage World books, I got the Deadland books, and then I bought a module just, just to run it as a play test. And overall, it's been pretty positive. I mean, I think people have liked the system pretty well. I think, Rob, you said there's been some issues because you're so used to rolling high numbers, like on a D20, that oh, getting fir- a four seems The first weird. time we played... It was just so depressing. I was like, oh my god, I can't do anything. And then it's just like, oh, I rolled a three, and I still can't. Oh, no, you roll a four, but you need the four. Uh, you're still negative two. Yeah, negative like, two. He was a oh shaman casting spells, so he was a negative two. It was terrible. Uh, yeah. But yeah, That first playtest, you didn't. You really sucked at everything. Yeah, I couldn't do anything. It was yeah. terrible. But we fixed that a little bit. We, we redid the characters yeah. once I knew a little bit more about how to do them, and they were a little bit better. Um there's a couple, like, actually in the last session we had a moment that I thought was fantastic, is I attacked Jared's character, and I rolled, what was, I think it was a 45. Like, yeah. By far was the highest number any of us had rolled yet, and then on his vigor roll, he rolled like a 30. <laughs> so we were like, oh, you're dead, you're dead. And he's like, no. He just kept rolling, like, no. So it was just like a really funny moment that we got those really hot numbers back-to-back and that kind of thing. Um, my probably the two biggest complaints that I have are, are frustrations, and again, maybe you can speak to these, is... Uh, the shaken condition, like we already house ruled it that you automatically became unshaken next turn, so you're shaken oh. for one round and then you're automatically unshaken because it seemed like mm-hmm. people would be shaken 
five turns in a row and not doing anything. You should never be shaken five turns in a row because of your bennies. You spend a benny, you're unshaken at any time. Yeah, I think we were using those wrong or spending them too fast other ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you, because, well, uh, I was it, extremely, uh, I, I didn't. I did not want to spend those unless I absolutely had to spend it because I, I didn't want Michael. I didn't want the DM to have my. <laughs> yeah, at my, one point I had a stack token. of like eight that last. I thought game. That, yeah. that was completely like off the unbalanced. Every like every not, you also I start. That's cool. You also start with three. Three. No, it's one per PC. Yeah. Oh, so. so you started with five. Five. And then every time we turn one in, you get to draw more. Certain ones, not every one. But most of them, yes. It's like making a deal with the devil. Yeah. It's like, if you let me get away with this, I'll owe you one later. Well, what I like about it is in D&D 4.0, you have the the whole action points and stuff. And you can spend action points just to do like a big first attack or whatever, and that's a matter. With Deadlands, you have to think to yourself, do I really want to re-roll or try to do something with the bennies that I have? Because that gives the GM more power, and it, may, and I, it still like may not th- work. I, I like, yeah, and it still might not work. And so that's why I like. I like that you have to actually think. Do I want to give an advance to myself that can potentially give an advance to the DM or the NPC yeah. that we're about to fight? Is mine better than theirs? So I, I, I like that. I like that there's actually like a balancing act that you have to do. The, the one comment I wanted to make for Deadlands is it is definitely more complicated than D and D next or even 4.0. So more complicated? To, I think it's more complicated. Yeah. I would, I would because, say more than next, but I wouldn't say more because you have to memorize the whole negatives, depending on what you're rolling. Spells are a little bit. I won't say quirky, but they're more complicated than 4.0. That you just say, "Oh, here's my daily. Boom, I'm done." You kind of have to like figure things out. Um, so I think overall, if you're about to play Deadlands or any Savage World games, I'm guessing. Make sure that the DM reads the rules maybe twice just to figure things out. Yeah, and especially with Savage Worlds because the the way that they've written the Savage Worlds books, like, you know, you read a D&D book and it'll tell you in ten different places, like, don't forget, you get a minus two for this or you get this or this. The way Savage Worlds is written, they tell you one time. And if you miss it, then... It could be huge. It could be something huge. That'll be my third frustration is that the indexes are not accurate. Because there are so many times I'm trying to find stuff, and I go to the index, and then it's not on the page the index told me to. Or, which not really or it's not even there to find in the yeah. index to go get it. I did like – the thing that I like about Savage Worlds is how when the worse off your character gets, the worse off your attacks yes. get. Yeah. Because it made me play my character in a different way than I would in – um, D&D, like, uh, in, when I went into that, um, house looking for a necklace and I was, I had a, a surprise attack against like a ghost or a vampire or something. I was in a house by myself. I felt like I was going to be locked in and I knew that I was about to start an encounter. And in D&D, I might've thought, eh, you know, maybe I can take this, um, and risk it. But my immediate in Savage Worlds, my immediate, my immediate, um, response is like I got to get the hell out of here because I know the worse off I get, the worse my chances are of surviving attacks and surviving. So, like even as in D and D, as my hit points get lower and lower, I still have just as good a chance as doing damage and killing what I'm facing. But it's not like that at all in Savage Worlds. The worse 
off you get and the more damage you're taking, then the worse your chances of landing good blows and killing your opponent get. So it changes the way you play your character. It actually, I mean, it changes the way you role play a little bit. Well, I, it, I, adds, it adds realism, I think. Oh right? yeah. And there's other role play games that do the same thing. By the way, they give you negatives. Yeah. And I, I think that's cool because it applies to both the NPCs and the PCs, which is nice. And it also kind of makes you realize, hey, I'm getting really badly damaged, and you're more likely to leave. In D and D, you can be like. I have eight hit points, but maybe I can kill him in the next hit, so I'll just go and do it. Right. And you're like, worst case scenario, I might just go down, the clay will get me up, I'm all cool. Mm. But with Deadlands, you can't yeah, really do you that. you can possibly die the moment you go down. It's right. all about that vigor roll. And the oh, exactly. Yeah. I want to say uh, what I noticed from our, not the first test game, but the first game that we played to the last game that we played, we, I feel like the lethality went away by the time we finished because we were just gung ho and just going strong, and I mean Nico's character did die, mm. and then I brought him back <laughs> as a zombie. <laughs> as a zombie, uh. Uh, but uh, I just wanted to say that. No, yeah. on serious note, though, I feel like we we dropped <laughs> That's all I really wanted. We, yeah. we dropped the the lethality. You of also the game. made a guy kill himself. And you were happy about that. Fan in the hammer. That's right. Anyway. Anyways. Um, so yeah, I agree. Actually, that's one of my frustrations about D and D. I've never liked hit points in any session, any system of D and D, because I just I don't like the fact that you have a hundred hit points, and from one hundred to one or you know, one one hundred to one, you're exactly the same, and one more hit point, you're just like unconscious. Yeah, Four point zero has the bloody mechanic, which was kind of cool because it get things would trigger out of bloody. You could do either. Well, usually you would do better damage or whatever if you were bloody for certain classes, stuff like that. So I thought that was cool that having that having the blood mechanic give you one more thing that would happen with your hit points. But I agree. What's, what I always found interesting is if you read the D&D stories like the Dragonlands and all those things, um, you'll see a wizard can get can get killed with one stab with a dagger. In the for thematic reasons, that makes sense. But it, it, you know if you had the same wizard and you're playing D&D because he's such high level, he would not die with a dagger stab ever. So, yeah, hit points I've never liked. I think we've discussed this before, like not in the podcast, but just in general. It's just I think it removes realism. The way you've presented it was that you're high level, you can basically kind of deflect hits that would normally kill a person, which kind of makes sense. It's like in boxing, right? If a boxer punches you in the face, you, you're out. But boxers punching each other in the face, they can take it because they kind of absorb the blows right. as they come in. There's sort of an endurance and that you're you're wearing them down, and then that last blow is actually the one that does physical damage. But there's still you still have to suspend disbelief yeah, to you, get there. Yeah, exactly. With hit points, you can never kill something with one hit. In Deadlands... That can easily happen. That's it can be I an old grandma up. with a with a gun closing her eyes. If she rolls high enough in damage and to hit you, she can take you out. Yeah, and and in any Savage Worlds, even like the lowest mook, like uh, you know, if you were playing a Savage Worlds fantasy game and you could be legendary with forty some XP and a kobold can kill you, like he, he's, he, if he gets lucky, it happens. <laughs> I, the extra the six. Rolling the D6, getting the wild die, that was, I mean, extremely, uh, I thought it was great because it it brought right back to that point where you can kill anybody with anything almost just by the the way the the dice are rolling. 
And the other, and I didn't pick up the fantasy companion, by the way. So I am thinking about maybe my next campaign being a Savage World fantasy campaign, just to try it because we haven't. Done I think that. that'll be cool. I and, do like the setting. And I think I think system. it might be um, that might even be a good thing because like Deadlands as a Savage World setting is much more complicated than standard uh, Savage Worlds. Okay. Like Deadlands, like regular Savage Worlds, there's not three, four different kinds of bennies. Um, the GM doesn't get a Benny when you spend one. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, that's what we should. <laughs> that's, be a, <laughs> that's a that's a Deadlands I'm thing. All it for plays it. into the deal with the devil idea right. of it. Um. So so there yeah there's big differences. Right. So the, my other kind of frustration, and this is something Jared and I talked about, is he played a like a healer priest, and you played the shaman, uh, or voodoo priest. I'm sorry. <clears throat> and their spells, there's so much overlap. And I know that the the flavor and how you skin them is really where you're supposed to separate them. But you know, at the end of the day, they were doing 99% of the things the same things. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, one of them would want to do a spell, but the other one would go first with the initiative, and they would do the spell instead because without even them coordinating, it would just happen. It's like, oh, that's the spell I was going to do. Right. So it got a little bit frustrating for again whoever went second that the spells were so similar. So in the Fantasy Companion, it adds more spells. But they're still very generic, which I'm okay with because you yeah. want to skin it. Like Jet is the one that does damage. It could be a lightning bolt or acid cloud or ice or fire. Yeah. So you could look different, but ultimately you're still doing X damage to X number of people. Or right. I think people. there's something funny about that. Like it kind of seems like when you're playing a wizard or a sorcerer or somebody who's casting spells, it's also just as much about the show as it is just dealing damage. Because if like you and if you and I had two characters and we were flanking somebody and you hit him with your sword first, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think like, oh, no, I was going to hit him with my sword, you know, yeah, but right. if you have two wizards and one casts a lightning bolt, the other one's like, oh, I was going to cast a lightning bolt. Now it's not as much fun. Right. And I actually think that's an interesting comparison to make. I think the only difference is with, with spells, you're always, no matter what game you play, you're limited. There's a limited mechanic there that says, hey, if you're a spellcaster, you can't cast all day. Either they'll say you have mana and it will run out. Either they'll say that you have a specific amount of spells. Or in some games, casting spells actually hurts you, so you'll die at some point. With a sword, you can just keep swinging it. I think that's I think that's it what kind of make, frustrates people a little yeah, bit that, that you have something unique and if somebody else has the same thing that's unique you kind of stuck because you can only do it two times in de- in, in Deadlands it seems like you can cast like maybe well actually you can kind of cast well, the miracle can cast as many as they right. want um, until they get bad rolls and they lose their faith and that kind of thing the mad scientists and the hucksters have power points right um, and the wizards in the fantasy version would have power points. Yeah, te- technically in the background they all have power points um that's something that's interesting about savage worlds is they can have such a short spell list where everything is is basically the same spell and you just reskin it or whatever but they can cast it differently um for instance uh i think it's the huckster in deadlands like they have power points mm-hmm. But instead of rega- regaining them like one every hour like you normally would, it's one every day unless they play cards with a devil right. to gain more power points or whatever. Um, the Savage Worlds game that I'm running is set in Alice in Wonderland. Um, we have two mages in there. One of them is a is a priest of Alice. He just it's, – it's mana. He – okay, I spend two power points. The other, the other mage, though, she is a gormancer, a food magician. Because Wonderland, you know, eat me, drink me, that kind of thing. And her whole mechanic is you you spend the power points when you're cooking the food. Gotcha. Those power points are lost to you until you do something with that food. 
So she's walking around with the spells. They're already cast. She already knows that when I breathe fire with this, the, you know, five alarm chili that I have, it, I, I've already rolled a, a 17. All the bad guys I hit with it have to get a 17 on their, right. you know, saves. But well, I think we, it's honestly, already done. I for. think we were doing yours wrong because uh, the, the biggest thing, if, if I read the miracles correctly, is that you don't actually have power points. You just basically yeah, roll yeah, your for, faith roll. Yeah, if you do well, you granted. But then we'd run into spells that have power points in power them. points in them. Like if you spend this many, this happens. This many, this happens. So was he supposed to get higher negatives on um, those additional power points? I don't remember exactly how it works for Deadlands. I think you do get higher negatives, or you just always cast it at the lowest. Okay. Power. Because like there's one like barrier, for example, where yeah. you can make different thickness, which are tougher, in different number of segments. Yeah. And we're like, I don't know. So I just had him roll it. He rolled really high. So I said, okay, it worked. Um, but I wasn't sure that we were handling that correctly. Yep, I remember us. I remember that we in were the like, game. Yeah. yeah, we don't have to do that. I think we, have, we don't have time to figure that out. <laughs> we, we had situations that we didn't know the rule that we needed to use. And I think that has to do with we weren't experienced. You, I've kind of skimmed through the book. You read it probably once or twice, I'm guessing. Yeah. So that was kind of like a, a, a knowledge issue. And that always comes down to when you're running a game, you have to basically keep reading the rules until you right. familiarize yourself and with it. And I got them. the, um, the Deadlands... GM screen and honestly there wasn't a whole lot on it that I thought like I would have put different things on here myself Mm, that's every GM screen I've ever bought (laughs) like I would think that the incapacitation table would have been very important to have on here because that was probably the thing we looked up most right when someone got incapacitated okay where's that now you got to roll what does it mean when you roll this are you dead that kind of thing so that would that would have been something I would have added but they still have my money so how about you just make your own I probably will. Actually, I found online people have done that, and you can buy them or you can download them and then put your own in. But I just didn't have a chance to do that. Right. I, I usually, usually in most games, I'll make my own DM screen. If I'm not familiar with the rules, I'll just make like two or three pages, so it's like a quick, quick reference, and I'll just boldface the things I I know I reference a lot. That way, I I just have like seats. But with D and don't have to do that anymore because I pretty much know most of the rules. Awesome. All right, so any final words on Savage Worlds? Any final words? I think I said any, any final worlds. I'm not sure I'm not sure if I could explain really why. So since this is a podcast, maybe I shouldn't bring it up. <laughs> Cuz this is all about talking, but um I did like there's something that I like about the success factor always being the same and it's out of the DM's hands to make up whether or not your role is a success or a failure. It, like it's up to you in D and D, you pick what would the number be called? DC or difficulty difficulty class numbers. difficulty class. You that's up to the to the DM to pick. But in Savage Worlds, it's always it's all based on the same. It's always based on a four and I roll of the dice. For some reason, I I just like that better. We're just cool. trying to take power away. From I think you. it okay. speeds things up, especially. You know, it, like like four, you you always have to have four to shoot anything. Right. That that speeds things up because the the it, it's not okay. Six, do I hit? Uh, yeah, you hit. Reading, okay, now roll your damage. Papers and yeah. reading numbers back and no, forth. And right. boom. It also makes it similar for the DM, I think, because there's other games that you have to actually put modifiers in people's rolls 
for anything, just even for just playing attacks, not just for skill rolls. And then you have to be like, okay, he's running, so that's a plus two. However, he has you know this special thing that gives him a negative one when he's soothing, and then he just gets this like complicated math- mathematical equation to like say, okay, he has a plus two, a plus four, and a negative three, so that comes out, and it's just that's what makes it hard. I didn't read um, anything. In the, <laughs> I, don't, I, know. I don't know how to read. No, um, I didn't read the Savage World rules. And one of the things that, like, that I didn't go over that I was just seeing at the table and trying to figure out how it works by what you were seeing at the table was how how you figure move distance and running and just from the 25 times it happened i still don't know how it works well you have a pace which is a number usually it's six and it it assumes you use miniatures so it's six inches but in without using you double that in yards so you can normally move 12 yards but you get a running die which is another d6 and you roll that and then you add it to it so you essentially will run 12 yards or 13 or 14 based on what you roll. If you roll a 6, you can keep rolling. So I guess potentially... No, you cannot explode a running die. Ah, see, I didn't know that. See, I thought you'd be because like Carl it, Lewis. Because <laughs> if you kept exploding it, you could run for a mile in 6 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, something that I really did like about Deadlands was the simplicity of like the play sheet. Like Everything just seems so much... For whatever reason, it just seems so much more simple to me to look on there than it did on like a 4.0 or 3.5 or the next sheets. Like, I don't know why more simple than the next sheets. Yeah. I don't know why. And I knew exactly which dice I needed. I needed my arcane or my faith die and the six for virtually everything. Or it told me exactly. I I don't know. I, I just got it for whatever reason. I thought the simplicity of the sheet to me was, uh, nice. I think next the sheet next sheets are pretty simple, but I would definitely agree with you. Four point zero and three point five. That's one of the reasons why we went to next is we were playing from our sheets, not playing our characters. We would go, okay, well, my best ability is this, so that's what I'm going to do, rather than what do I want to do, and this is how I do it. I, I guess it was <laughs> like I knew I knew the only thing that I needed to look at was my spell sheet, not my play sheet. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. No, it did. It kind of like I gives was able to stay. More... I was able to stay. As Pierre Fontaine the whole time, as opposed <laughs> what to was that? what was that again? Pierre Fontaine. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it also speeds. It also sped the game up because in between rounds, you know, you were looking at your spells and had it figured out what you wanted to use and do instead of have instead of spending so much time on your character sheet trying to figure out how you're going to do can things. i mathematically do this yeah and how you and how you're going to do it and what, what dice you do. need and is it worth it or all that like you were spending more time in your spell book and then when it came time for your turn you were just like this is what i want to do uh, 4.0 has the same thing though because to be fair to 4.0 it is very simple in terms of what do i cast because if you have the cards or if you actually have the seat, you can see and say, okay, here's my spells. Do I want to cast an encounter or a daily or a at will? And you kind of go from there. Yeah, I think we're 4.0, I don't say derailed, but because I started playing 4.0 when it first came out and I loved it. But the longer I played it, the less I liked it. Is it, Potentially, if you have, especially high levels or you have experienced people, Battles last forever, and I know there's ways to fix that, but where they where they run into things is, okay, I'm going to attack Rob's character, 
but I rolled a seven. When I roll a seven, that means he gets to do something, and then I get to go back they and I get to re-roll. Yeah, those interruptions are crazy, and it can take five minutes to resolve one roll that may not actually even do anything at the end of the time. Yeah. So we spent five minutes, and nothing was accomplished, and that's just started driving me crazy. Yeah, I would completely lose that it. sounds like our games anyways <laughs> we don't need the but that's more role-playing you try to role-play and someone right cock blocks you our with role-playing role is just sitting around not being able to decide what we're gonna do yeah. we don't need more wasted time from the mechanics yeah, yeah. so the last thing i want to talk about uh, savage world for me was uh, again with the spells is just that um I, well because i kind of already covered it is that there was too much overlap i'm trying to figure out a way but i think because both people were playing miracles where they can cast any of the spells on the list if someone was playing like two hucksters could just select different spells right and it would be very different so like yeah. in the, the fantasy version you may not have the same spells he has so you would feel differently but it would be like playing two sorcerers versus two clerics who can cast anything on their cleric list i think that was part of it as well all right so any again any other final words of on savage worlds not i <laughs> uh, sorry, they, I, I, uh, you're going to go for Rob, so you can go ahead, Rob. Oh, I was going to say, I, I know you didn't like the setting very much, Nico. Is that what you're going to talk about? Yeah, now? that's what I was going to say. Okay. See, I, because I, I just want to say, though, like, because you're not from America and you didn't grow up as a little kid watching Westerns. Right. I just, like, and right. every time we, even when we're playing, like, a medieval-esque D&D type game, I still, like, if we're, I still think of, like, the that's showdown the and, like, here we are walking through... You know, Main Street. And That's kind of... I just basically said that to Michael the other day. Like, even when we're playing D&D, &D, if we're just playing a, like a typical um, fantasy D&D &D setting, if we go into a town or something, that you... You're referencing like how you're creating it in your head is coming from references that you've probably seen before somewhere, and you're putting this all together and what it looks like in your head. And I always picture it as a saloon, like a uh, western town with a door with the saloon that has doors that go. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> when you walk in and like there's the bartender like cleaning a glass behind the table. It's all things that I've seen from western movies that i think are cool and that's what goes into my head even when we're playing see that, that's fascinating because i've never had that image i really haven't like for me i'm trying to think because because i'm from greece so all the stories i have is like ancient spartans and stuff or or not but i have never had the so image you, you just described no actually you don't but yeah i was gonna say it's a cultural thing if if you haven't been raised in the states, or I guess Mexico probably has a lot of westerns too. But anyways, and Italy, yeah. So if you haven't been raised in in the states, then maybe you won't get the cultural ideas of the whole the Braves and the Indians and the Cowboys. I think that was the problem. I couldn't probably visualize things, even though I've seen some westerns. I just I couldn't get into the setting or the theme of the game. Uh, but having said that, the last game that we did play. I did have a lot of fun, and we had a small discussion about that because in reality it was almost like a dungeon crawl. So maybe that's why I could relate. Because I guess in my head, when we're like in the the cave with the lava and all that stuff, that could be D and D. You right. wouldn't know. Yeah, essentially, you were in a wine cellar fighting a ghoul, and then you were in a volcano fighting like an evil wizard. It was essentially a D and D right. game. And I think, and I even think I, I was thinking about my character why I ended up playing an Indian that had a spear, which is very. D and D fighter berserker type of thing, and I think that I didn't do that consciously, but I think I consciously that made more sense to me than having a gun. Right. 
So. so Savage Worlds, I think we all really like. The Deadlands is hit and miss in, in certain areas. Uh, but I'm, I'm pretty much on uh, on the side that when we play it, when we start a new game for me, because we're going to finish my other one, but when we start a new one, I think I'm going to do the Savage Worlds. Well, if you, if you guys want me to run... Yes. To run like a one, <laughs> if you guys want me to run like a one, a one or two shot for you, I've got a stack of you know, like prepared one and two shots because Savage Worlds is great for one shots. Like if you're just gonna, you know, that's why you see it played at cons a lot. It's you can jump in, say here's your pile of dice, there's, go. There's not much thought into the yeah. creation of your character or. Well, you can you can even just again. hand somebody a pre gen yeah. and they can just go. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And that I think I'm playing a couple of Savage World games. We're going to Gen Con for the first time ever. Oh, uh, you the three of us have never gone before. You guys will enjoy it, and I'll see you there. Okay. <laughs> awesome. All right. So let's move on. What's our next thing? We're we're gonna talk about the traits. So essentially, what happened? We wanted to bring um, up is the role playing a character trait. Yes. Okay. That could the the reason is because um, I was playing a character in the Savage Worlds game that we were just talking about where. Um, I was from Japan and I grew up seeing like or reading books and hearing stories about um, America and cowboys and things. And so in America, I, my character used martial arts, but he wanted to be a cowboy. So he wore a gun and his first reaction to being startled or uh, like usually when combat started, his first reaction was to draw his gun and like fire off a round or two and half 99% I don't know if I ever successfully hit anything I don't think I, I did I don't think you did <laughs> yeah. Not the I successfully you never hit. hit the target <laughs> yeah right yeah. Um, but so you did shoot yourself most of the time I shot myself or, or somebody another, else yeah. in the party and there was so I wanted to compare that to maybe a couple other things in the game that I don't know if you guys would think that they're really role-playing hindrances or not. One would be Grexel, um, and the other one would be Wang. And the Grexel... <laughs> Grexel... That is a hindrance, right? <laughs> Actual four-year-olds. <laughs> Grexel didn't do anything that, like, endangered our party, which... Well, that's my relative. character, which my character Lee did, you know, during a fight, he's shooting, you know, wow. God knows where. Um, Grexel was more role playing and decision making, and like he, it was argumentative, be argumentative, and a frustration. Which, which I hope you, you uh, Nico played Grexel in our game, and I hope Nico, you're not taking this in a bad way. Oh no, I'm not. I'm not. It was mean, all, that was it his was, point. Yeah, it was really good role playing. Um, it, but it was kind of a hindrance to the group because most um, decisions that we made were so frustrating and argumentative, and we would have, and I would be arguing with Grexel, and Grexel just standing there like with a dumb look on his face, like, you know, why, what, <laughs> what, and I would be yelling and screaming at him, and it, it was actually something that I really got into, and yeah, I thought it was a cool playoff, but then. And then um, the other character is Wang, which Jared played, which was just like a crazy character that kind of did anything. So I was wondering if the other people in the group were annoyed or or was sitting across the table thinking, like, why is he why does he keep drawing his gun? Why does he keep doing this? He shouldn't be doing it from an out of game standpoint because it's not tactically correct and it's hurting us. I mentioned in one of the games where I said. Don't do that. Get, yeah, I said, get that gun away from him, or 
you know, empty his bullets or thank God he doesn't have that anymore. I, but I mean, but was that like a funny in-game thing or was that an actual frustration that we're going to lose no, this it, encounter because he's being stupid? It never frustrated me. I didn't care. I mean, I, I thought it was funny because I, I knew that that's what your, your goofball drunken martial art character was doing. But, uh, I remember it might've been before we went into the, the the wine cellar or the mine or something. And I was just like, and I said, make sure he doesn't have any bullets or something. I made a comment. I remember you saying that. So I I didn't find it annoying. But I would never disarm somebody. I I didn't find it annoying to answer that question out of character. I think hindrances can uh, give people um, the ability to role play more. The good example is Grexel, right? We end up role playing a lot because you guys have to convince Grexel being stupid that well, Grexel is stupid. You have to convince him that something made sense. So a lot of times, if he didn't understand something, his first response was like, "Why?" or "What?" or "Huh?" That, that was like it's basically repeat yourself. And I think that gave us the opportunity to role play a lot. Um, the problem with crazy characters is they're crazy. <laughs> right, so okay. then nothing makes sense of what, what they do. Now it's, it totally depends on how people role play them, because I've had people that play crazy people that they play them crazy in an interesting way. For example, one person thought that he could hear voices that told him what was going to happen in the future. At the same time, he had an advantage that maybe sometimes once in a while he could get things in the future. So he actually, as a player, they never knew if the DM was feeding him something that was going to happen or something that was just in his head. That's crazy, but it's different crazy. It's just going with the what you think is going to happen, so trying to prepare the party for that. The crazy, the way Jared played that crazy, is you just don't know. Maybe you'll just wake up and you'll be dead the next day. I don't think Jared would do it as a player, but I, I think what I want to say is when you play hindrance that affects the party, either by being stupid or by firing your gun and actually almost killing all your players, <laughs> it depends on how often you do it. Right, and I think with Grex, I was I was working a fine line. And I was aware of this that if I did it way too much, he would just get frustrated because then Evan would be like, "I've been arguing about going out of the sewers for the last three and a half hours." That I, sucks. Yeah. And I think sometimes maybe I did it a little bit longer than I should have for certain discussions, and sometimes I didn't do it enough. I think that's the key. If you had your gun and you always like find the hammer every single time. After, like, five b- battles, it would get annoying because people would be like, dude, seriously, you've, like, killed the half half of the party every single game, <laughs> no. right? But So it depends on how frequently you do it and how much. The thing with crazy people is they're crazy all the time, so they kind of feel like, what, what do I want to do this? Okay, I have to do the totally opposite thing, right. and that's what can get well, difficult because you, you overdo it. With Wang specifically, because I've talked to Evan about this, and I'm not trying to pile on to his character, but I, as a DM, did not set good rules for him is when we because we discussed this all over email so we weren't face to face and he told me he wanted to bring in a character that was crazy in my head i was thinking of this sort of professional hitman that you know a cat could pee on his clothes and he would laugh at it and a kid would put chocolate on his shirt he'd laugh at it but then like somebody sneezes and doesn't cover their mouth and he just fucking kills them you know like like that cold just off the wall crazy he played him nuts just like, like he just there you know taking string and spaghetti and putting in his hair it's just like sometimes i think that's how he thinks no i'm just kidding i'm just kidding that's a joke but but it just didn't fit and one it didn't fit within the theme of the story we're telling that that was a problem if all of us were crazy it would make sense 
but because we were serious and you, we, we, there was a big a lot of subplots going on yeah. and some of them have still not come up I think so because there were so many subplots we were trying to do things and then in the background we're trying to do other things and we're acting one way but thinking another thing and then you had a crazy person and I think it's you could tell that you made three characters and then a, a fourth one came in yeah. because they were so different Yep. If you're too crazy, you might get your head cut off. <laughs> I want to. I want to say well, that. I wanna, well, go ahead. Oh, I, just real quick, yeah. uh, I, I agree with you. Got to play it on a fine line as to what is your crazy hindrance. Because Evan, I liked how you did your. I thought you just did yours fantastic, and I, I just I thought it was great because it was like a sympathetic, nervous reaction. It wasn't. Uh, this is what I'm gonna do every time, but it was a, a startled, oh man, yeah. type of. I'm just drawing my gun and then real he'd quick. Usually, and shooting. He'd usually fire one or two, and then be like, no, oh, no, that was a. That, <laughs> why don't I ever hit anything? And then he'd this put it gun, away. This gun broke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he'd put it away, and then he'd start kicking and punching. Yeah. So, and I, I definitely like that. So, James, do you have any experience I, with that? Or I thoughts? mean, uh, yeah, I've seen this, you know, this kind of thing before, and I think I think the key is, like. Like like you said, it's walking a fine line. If you do it, you know, if it's something like that where, oh, we just got ambushed. I'm going to pull my gun out even though I'm terrible at guns because it's a reaction. Uh, oh, this didn't work. Throw the gun at them. That, <laughs> like, like that, that can be fun. Uh, if somebody dies, it's still kind of fun. <laughs> if, if it's a case, though, where... You have to ask yourself if I were if if I were real if this were real and I were this person and I, or I was in a party with this person, how many times do they have to accidentally shoot me before I kill them, and then the party takes care of the problem? Like that's true. Yeah. I never thought about. I <laughs> I do remember saying that at one point I was going to file your hammer down yes. so it wouldn't strike the firing pin <laughs> yeah. or, while or, you were sleeping. And that would have been so, hilarious. So now you have your gun and you can pull the trigger <laughs> so you know, now I'm work. scared and I'm like, click. <laughs> or, or, or you give him the old Barney Fife, like, here's your gun, here's your bullet, they go in different pockets. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to give you a cap gun, that'd be great. Pow, 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 pow! <laughs> Nothing's happening, they're all like, tee hee hee, and then he puts it up. James made a good point. It's if you side literally hurting the party I think the party itself will have started doing things in a role playing way it wouldn't be because we're annoyed out of character it would more be like okay he can't fire the gun like take his bullets away or something like that but because it happened once in a while and yeah some people got like negative ones and stuff it wasn't a big deal again it's a whole fine line thing right if you overdo it people would right. try to do things I, for it I'm and, all for it to a point I think that's kind of what we're saying because this isn't a board game you know we're not playing pandemic right and the role playing is what makes it different. Like you have in every turn, you have the mathematically best choice. Even if you don't succeed, this is what I should do to have the best chance of success. If we always just do that, then we're not role playing game. We're playing a board game. One more thing about the game that we played. I wanted to just say I know we're running fast yeah. on time here. Uh, the decisions that I played with my character, playing like striking fear. As or playing the fear thing and making everybody scared, or you know, kind of making like darker decisions to do whatever. D did that affect you guys at all, or yeah, he did, cast did, a, did you a not fear like spell? Because and I know two other players got permanent fear or phobias because of it. I, it I know <laughs> that uh, Jared did not. Well, his character didn't like it, and that was frustrating to me. But it's like 
well, my guy has, you know, dark magic and he's a freaking priest. Yeah. Of course he's not going to like the fact that I'm bringing a zombie back, but... Dog but on you did it, it anyway. But <laughs> doggone it, I'm bringing a zombie. Yeah. <laughs> I think it still goes back... We've said this about a dozen times, is that there's a fine line, and I think the fine line is basically what we said in the beginning is you're playing it you're playing something that could be a hindrance to the group so if on one side of the line is you're more of a hindrance to the group and on the other side is you're still being beneficial to the group even though you're playing the hindrance and i think if i would have been shooting people and the other people in the party made the decision like okay you're hurting us more than you're helping us then that would have changed things and with you casting fear and I think didn't you, I think I maybe tried you to calculate I tried a windstorm to... and it you caught some other people you, you, you caught, caught me I got caught in the bottle spells clouds melee but more I, than fifty percent of the time like in my head I'm thinking it's worth it to do that because now our opponent's going to be shaken as well and there's a re like the our opponent's going to have more hindrances than what we're going to have like. Yeah, well, it was that, obvious. That was how it I was, was like, trying to... It was like, what, six people that got caught on your windstorm and me. I think that was fair. Like, six NPCs and me. That's a good balance there. Okay. So right, I think we're all in agreement, I guess. Ready to move on? Mailbag? Mailbag. All right, so we have a question, and I apologize. I can't remember the guy's name. I, I sent it to myself so I could read it, but I didn't include his name. But I'll go back in and, and add it uh, in when we do the show notes on uh, what his name was. And along with that, I also want to mention that I'm now posting all the questions on RPG Crosstalk, and I'm hoping that other people will go and read the questions and then put their own answers. And then when we cover these, we can actually say what other people have suggested as well. So if you're interested in answering some of these questions yourself, go to RPG Crosstalk. So this one basically involves puzzles, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but essentially he's creating a musical puzzle that the PCs would have to, to complete. And his question is... Is it kind of unfair because he's like I guess like a music student or he has musical theory in his background and one other player does and he's afraid that that player will figure it out instantly where all the other players would have no chance whatsoever of solving it. So the way that I would sort of recognize this question is are you creating puzzles for the players or are you creating puzzles for the characters because those are vastly different techniques and the way that they would be solved would be different. Do you have the email pulled up there? Yes. Can you read a couple sentences from it where it gives a description of how the puzzle he yes. wants the puzzle to so work. essentially they're going to come to a door that has three levels levers and at some point in the dungeon either on the door before they're going to get a riddle that essentially says that in order to pass you must descend in age age and each of the levers has a tone essentially a g and e i guess the chords is how you'd say that and you would have to play them in the correct order and if you do it incorrectly you get damage and it resets so he's afraid that the guy who knows music theory would go, oh, it's A, G, and E, and be done. And the players who don't know that would just have to randomly flip levers until they succeeded. Well, does anybody sitting here have any idea what they, how they would start that puzzle? Or do you so think that that's I, unfair? I have, I have no musical knowledge, musical theory knowledge at all. So if I saw A, G, E, you know, capital letters, because that's how you wrote it down, right? Uh, I would... I would never think of music. So what will happen with my character, both in and out? See, the, uh, Mike made an important point. Are you making puzzles for in character or out of character? Because let's say I was playing a bard. I don't know anything about music out of character, but my bard would. Exactly. So at that point, are you going to give me hints because you know I don't know the, pu the puzzle because I don't know music? 
or are you not going to give me hints? That's kind of what makes the difference. Because if I am a bard, I better know what A, G, and E sounds. Otherwise, I'm the worst bard in the planet. So, I am in favor of puzzles that use people's in-character knowledge. However, they're extremely difficult to do. They're hard to do right. Because most people use their, out, their, their real-world knowledge to answer questions. It's just kind of like in-character, out-character thing. But then again, I'm also a big fan of saying if your intelligence is low, you can't think of something because you're not smart enough. Even if out of character, the person is smart enough to do it. With, so, kind of depends. Uh, we could, I mean, he could almost keep it kind of uh, vague or almost simple, as in not having the whatever the chord notes were that you were A, G, and E. Uh, but didn't he say something about, like, he, they had, they could pick locks and do all kinds of other things. Well, I think or, the, the door had multiple traps. There was like a regular mechanical trap that had to be like disarmed. Picked, yeah. picked, he but could it was say also magical. he could say when if they tried prying this or turning this lever, it made a higher harmonic noise. He could say things like that, which keeps it kind of vague, but it's simple. And then the next one is a medium, and the next one is a low harmonic noise, and maybe. I think yeah, that, but, that you, would... but you're still going against, I think, player knowledge there. And this is one of those weird sort of things about D&D, and I think I we think talked about this any, before. any person, or even any character in any world, if the, they turned a lever and went, boom, boom, you know. Yeah, oh, my hey, But again, I still think that? in that case you're going to the player. What I mean by that is, like, my character might have an 18 strength. I clearly do not. But when I go to attack someone, you don't say, okay, Michael, if you swing that sword, you'd only get negative two damage because you're a weakling, but your character is a barbarian. Intelligence is the one thing that we always seem to default to the player, not to the character. Yeah, see, I don't like that. Yeah, but it happens all the time because if you're trying to find a puzzle, is the, I don't let you just roll your intelligence and go, okay, and then my crazy puzzle, I, you just automatically succeed on one well, d20. And I think that a large reason that that happens is because, you know, I, I can role play that my character is stronger than I am. It is impossible to role play as someone smarter than you are because... Yeah. You you can't say the things you don't know the things that they would know. Yeah. So since it's impossible to role play someone smarter than you are, it kind of defaults to no matter what their score is, you're as smart. Your character is as smart as you are. What it ends up being is that you're right. Like you can't come up yourself with the knowledge that you should have if you are smarter. But what it turns out to what happens is that the D if. If you are an intelligent character or if you roll a good in uh, intelligence check, the DM gives you the knowledge right. that you should have or are supposed to have. And I think that's what he has to do in the puzzle is he has to be prepared for nobody at the table to be able to figure out how to solve it. And it reminds me of um, the chess puzzle that I gave you guys. I could have I, – I, I gave you a chess board on top of a – on top of a table and you had to uh, there was eight queens on it and you had to arrange the eight queens um, put them all in certain squares and then it would unlock this thing well you could have i could have made it so that as you're moving the pieces around you're not getting any of that warmer input. or colder feeling or any input or feedback as to whether or not what you're doing is getting you closer or you're on the right path 
And that's what he has to do is because nobody may be able to figure out what he wants, but you can string them along and lead them along by giving them that feeling like, I think what I did was is better. I'm going to do closer so, to so this. So if they play the first, if they play the A note correctly, with the right order, it's the first one, it turns green or whatever, or unlocks. Or maybe, there's, maybe the locks or the bars on the door are visual, and when you get the first note right, you see the lock, like, go, yeah, go and chink. unlock. So they know not to mess with that one anymore. Leave it where it is. Right. So, I, again, I think what I'm talking about, though, specifically is when you go into that puzzle, the way I see that happening is probably one of two ways. Either one person is going to get it instantly, and it's ch-ch-ch, and the trap, all this time you spent creating that trap is ruined, or no one gets it, and eventually you're like, okay, roll an intelligence check, and then I tell you the solution. And in neither of those cases is it very fun, and all that time and energy spent creating this interesting trap is just wasted. And, and and that's part of where the trick of puzzles comes in. And like like the uh, how you can't role play being smarter than yourself. If if it gets reduced, like like that chess puzzle you're talking about, if it if it's getting reduced to an intelligence check, that's the same as picking a lock because I'm a wizard with 18 intelligence. Oh look, a chess puzzle. Yep. 34. <laughs> yeah, I win. Uh, yeah. I win. Like, but again, but Then there is no puzzle. It's it, picking a lock. But, but that goes the same thing. But that's how you handle a rogue. There's exactly. a door. I don't expect you to actually pull out lockpicks and, so, and open this lock and then I'll let you through the, the mythical door. You roll a d20. If you get high enough, you open the door. Yeah. So puzzles are that one area where it's, it's a little bit different. It's outside of all the other yeah. challenges. So would you suggest to him that like, if one of his players wants to make an intelligence check to try and figure out the... Because you're either going to you're either going to play off of what we just said, which is the player's intelligence or the character's intelligence. So if you're going to play off the character's intelligence, one of them says, I'm going to make an intelligence roll. I roll really high. You say, okay, you figured it out, and they don't have to do it. Or you show them how they would have figured it out. If you're playing off the player's intelligence, then you don't let them do that. And you have, like basically you give them – like on the chessboard, when you got a piece in the right spot, you heard an audible click, and then you didn't move it anymore. You left it there. Right. You got. You're gonna play off of one of the and, two, and, and you have to be prepared. And to I think go that's what ways. most DMs are gonna do. Is you're gonna try to do it in the middle, because the reason you put a trap like that is you want to see it work. So right. you're gonna let them pull a handle and go, and you get a shock. Ha ha! I've had fun as a DM. Okay, now I want to roll an intelligence check, and then you give them a hint. <laughs> Rather than tell them the whole answer, you say, "Here's a hint." Uh, and then, you know, they, they can then figure it out based on that hint. The higher they roll, the, the more detail you give them. So it's still a little bit more interactive. The thing that I told him to do, because I actually responded on email on this, is that, one, I would make the damage higher so that there's a more penalty for failure. And then I would put the levers on different parts of the room. So even if Rob's the character that figures it out because he's really smart or he knows ma- musical theory, the other characters are still involved. You know, James, That's your character cool. has to go over there. Cool. Uh, you have to go over there. And maybe even one person in the center is the one who takes all the damage. So if I screw up, you get damaged. That I don't want you to die. So it becomes an interactive puzzle yeah. that way. And and more more than the three levers, too. Because, I, I mean, I don't know anything about music theory, but I'm pretty sure that there's more than three chords. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's an inf- and especially you know, in jazz music. There's so, inf- you so you know, maybe maybe you have ten maybe, levers, maybe you have ten levers yeah. and uh, some kind of marking on them that the music a person chord. is going to realize that oh, they're talking about music. Yeah. The other people are going to go three oh, notes is all. yeah, okay, so that's what the AG. Yeah, AG so that makes sense if you could have. So ten, you could even have tones. to pull nine levers. Yeah, or not pull three and pull yeah. the other seven. 
or something. Yeah, so you can make it a little bit more interactive. I thought it was a pretty interesting trap. Like, I actually think it was well thought out. I like it. My concern is that that one guy's going to figure it out instantly, and all the effort was wasted. Well, if he doesn't figure it out, the part is screwed. Because no one else is going to. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know what? playing a really bad song, like an evil song, and so you see the wall closing. <laughs> Hold on. Um, look, 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 If I could make a suggestion to for you to throw in to help your party figure it out, there was something... Um, from the Savage Worlds game that we just did, which was, I think it was the Savage Worlds game. It was, we found, we did some, we were going through the dungeon and we were, we went somewhere where we found a knock spell, right? Yes. And then later in the game, we ended up in, trapped in a room, like we went through a portal and we ended up trapped in a room and we couldn't get out and we had to use the knock spell to get out and that just felt good like we never it doesn't seem like we ever do that in the game where you set some you get you set something specific up in the beginning that you end up using later and it's it gives you that feeling like oh i'm i'm glad i grabbed that i'm glad i took it you know i'm glad oh. i was there and picked that up so in your game for the maybe you know you put an adventurer's body somewhere that was that knew the answer to the puzzle, and if they go the right way, they find that body, search them, and they might find the answer right. that they or can take clue. with them. Then, or yeah, yeah I was gonna say a, sh a piece of sheet music that has A, G, and E repetitively placed in it, and he could actually have that physical for the people to look at. Yeah. Right, or something. And, and I, I do think that's also part of it because even the music, even the music player. If there's no other indications, because like in the email, he he clearly says like this is a music based puzzle. This is their clue. Yeah. But the clue itself, if I didn't have the first part, my first thought would not be music, mm -hmm. unless there's like musical trappings around there. Maybe the levers have you know the end of the lever is a lute right. or something to <laughs> say. Think about music, or... and then if you're thinking about music, e even without musical theory, I think most people know that like musical notes are A B C D E F G. So yeah. you, you might make the jump there. So I guess what I would say, I apologize, I don't know your name, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll add that in, is if you've ran this puzzle in your game, write back in and let us know how it worked. Did it work the way you wanted it to? Did you kill a bunch of people? Did they solve it too easy? And then what you would do differently based on how it worked the first time. And then I just heard my son blow a whistle. And that's, a, that, that's apropos. All right, so we've got a couple minutes left, so let's move into our last segment for today, uh, which is a new segment I think we're going to call House Rules. And essentially what we're going to do here is uh, I'm going to take a rule from another game or one that I've made up or one that I think that I made up but I actually stole from another game and see whether or not we could add it into D&D &D and what the benefits and, and negatives would be. So this came about, one, uh, I just pre-ordered the 13th Age RPG, and you get a free PDF. And one of the things that that game does, it's not really a mechanical thing, but it's called One Unique Thing. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Uh, I haven't seen 13 Age. Uh, really interesting concept. A lot of us, I think, do it anyway, but it just codifies it where you say, when you create your character, you, you pick one thing about your character that is different than everybody else. And it's sort of like a role-playing thing. It's not supposed to be combat bonuses or right. whatever. But it can be things like, um, you know, I was a golem that gained sentience, or I'm a reincarnated hero from the last age, or I'm the bastard son of the king, or I'm the last of my race. It's just something that makes your character unique versus everybody else. Okay. So it started making me, and we're actually going to add that into the game he's getting ready to start, but it kind of made me think about taking other rules. I mentioned before, like, so from Savage Worlds, whenever you ace uh, or roll the highest number possible on a damage roll, you get to keep going. 
So if you do D8, you roll an 8, you roll again, you get an 8, you roll again, you get a 4, that's 20 points of damage. So you can, you can have these numbers that get really inflated. What would you guys think about adding that rule into our D&D next game? So whenever you roll damage, if you get an ace, you keep rolling. So you could potentially do a lot more damage, but there's also when people attack you, the same rules apply. I like it. <laughs> I'm, thinking, I'm afraid it might break the game. Yeah, because I think of how the hit point system works. The way it works with deadlines is because you only have basically four hit points. If you think about it, it, it scales differently, right? Because because when you roll really high, it goes from a negative one to a negative two. There's one jump. With hit points, if let's say you roll in d12s and you roll a twelve and a twelve, that's twenty four points. You can start. It can start doing some weird things to the game. I think it will make it more lethal. That's for sure. Yeah. But James, James was going to say something. I think. So. Yeah. Um. Because of the way that, like, like Nico was saying, the the way that Savage Worlds handles taking damage, like realistically, there's no difference in Savage Worlds between thirty damage and sixty damage because you're going to get shaken and take two wounds, and that's that. Um. So, be, because there's that, like, buffer in between, that makes it very different from a D&D style hit points, where, okay, so I'm playing D&D next a, a few weeks ago, I'm playing a barbarian, I have whatever it's called, weapon mastery, and I'm raging, and I have whatever the other thing is. I'm rolling 3d12s and dropping the lowest. Every single turn, I'm doing 25 damage, I'm killing everything in one shot. If you were to have those those D12s explode, I'm killing dragons in one shot. Right. It's whereas with Savage Worlds it's it's still kind of limited. You've got the soak mechanic and you've got like you can only take so much damage. Now, I, I could see it working well as like a fighter move like where they use their expertise dice so that it's more limited. Right. But all the time I think it would be it would be very lethal. I want there to be the possibility of, like, um, like, you know, a scene from a movie, you got the bad guys and the good guy, and the good, the good guy or the fighter, you know, he's a, he's just a little guy, but you know he's really badass, and then the bad guys bring out their best fighter, and it's this big, huge dude with a shirt off that's three feet taller, and it's like David versus Goliath. And he and kills then the, him with one hit. And the good guy, like, does some weird thing, jumps on his, swings around him, and gets him in the neck, and the guy drops to his knees, and he's right. dead. So, I want there to be that possibility of, be, because it's kind of real, no matter how big and bad, and no matter how high your AC is, and no matter right. how many hit points you have, I want there to be the possibility that the right shot in the right well, spot. I have an idea, you. and you probably jump in here. What I did like about Deadlands is they have the uh, the gunfight mechanic, the showdown. Yeah. That's kind of what you're like cinematically. That's what you're doing. Here's my best guy versus your best guy, and even in D and D, you say, okay, now you're in a showdown situation. Maybe exploding dice works there, and you really could have a one shot, one kill situation. Yeah, but it, it was a more limited battles. thing. Right, yeah. that would be that would be a good way to use it for a one on one. You, I do like the idea though, just from a cinematic standpoint. Like if you challenge someone to a duel, because again, like a lot of fantasy, especially like the George R. R. Martin thing, you have like a knight challenges a peasant to a duel. That's a death sentence to yeah. that peasant. It's they're going to die. So basically, if you accept that duel, one of you is going to die. Yeah. Period. End of story. And just figure out the mechanics on how that works. That once you enter into that duel, it's do or die for one of you. That could be interesting. Yeah, and I think that that would be a good application of it and a good way to 
to limit it. Like, I, I, yeah, all all the time would be too much. But I, I agree with you, and that's one of the things I really like about Savage Worlds is it gives you those, you know, Indiana Jones where the guy comes out and he's swords flicking and bang. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it it gives you that because it's it's a very pulpy system. Yeah, it's. You, you like, can go punch Nazis in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Always a good time. Yeah, I like. I just like the the kind of it's it's a roll of the dice. Every encounter is like with D and D. When you begin an encounter, it's like okay, you kind of sit back and you're like, all right, this is here's the beginning of a long encounter. You know, I don't know how long it's going to take and how many hits it's going to take to kill this guy, but it's going to take a while. And with Savage Worlds, you start an encounter and you're like, this may be over and a few yeah and i like that i like that unpredictability about it the npcs don't have basically one hit point they're all they're yeah. all moves unless yeah. they're a named npc they all essentially go shaken dead yep so you're you're going to go through those low level nobodies really quickly and then only on the big main bad guys where you actually dealing with hit points and they introduced that in fourth edition with the minions with the minions and i kind of still do that in D next a lot of times i'll give them six hit points i know they're going to get killed one shot yeah. but i do like that that you can have these big battles where it's three people versus 30 and it's manageable because you only have to deal with one hit dead versus okay that guy had 10 hit points now he has four left this one had 17 but now he's got three left it's too complicated so I just make them have enough, just enough hit points that one hit's probably going to kill them. Yeah, that, that, I, I really do like the minions in 4th Ed. I hope that they bring a similar mechanic. Yeah, I agree. Um, I also like, like, I've read some house rules for the super minion where it's the two-hit guy. I've done that before, <laughs> so yeah. Um, or, or I always did it with a certain hit point, so like two yeah. hits or 20 damage. Because if you do some crazy damage, it shouldn't... Th- then you just one-shot him, but... Yeah. Um, and that's something that Savage Worlds does really well, too, with the mooks. Um, our last Wonderland session, uh, you know, fi- five players, and it's set in Wonderland, so playing cards were the bad guys. But uh, one of them was a special one that was, like, the boss. And he's surrounded by, uh, like, 20 cards, and it, like, it it was a fun fight, and it took less than an hour. You, you it, it gives you a different feel. It's more... Again, more pulpy because it's Indiana Jones beating up a hundred Nazis with his fists. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and and, and and that's really fun. Yeah. Whereas D and D is more, I don't, I don't know. It's it's hard to get those kind of fights Situations, going. Yeah. It's it's usually you know five of us versus five of them. Yeah. And maybe seven if it's a tough yeah battle. maybe seven if it's a tough battle and we're gonna move around for and stab each other for the next three hours and then yeah, one think, of us wins i think a lot of the D <laughs> fights are set up like the old gi joe cartoon where you have that yeah. snake eyes versus storm shadow and wizard versus the wizard clerk versus cleric fighter versus fighter which is an interesting dynamic but it's very difficult to run yeah and i think it's more fun in theory than it is in practice yeah it's party versus party and, and i mean for 4e does it very slowly which is why i'm really liking next also because it's i mean you can have that same fight and it only takes half an hour the last thing for me is, and I'll I'll actually put these on the crosstalk form as well. I'll, have, I'll start a house rules thread, so I can post our idea for exploding dice in D and D, and other people possibly can comment on what they think and maybe post their own house rules that we could then talk about in future episodes. All right, so this has and been Evan. Michael and Evan and James and Nico. See you next time.
can give us feedback and comments at our website, dndacademy.com. You can check out previous podcasts at our website and subscribe to future ones on iTunes. If you have a suggestion for a topic, we'd love to hear it. Email your ideas to podcast at dndacademy.com, and you can connect with us on Twitter at dnd underscore academy. As always, thanks for listening, and remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.